Welcome to Dave's Daily Crypto Take. Today is Friday, February 4th, 2022. Let's take a look at today's charts. At number one, BTC, $37,302.60, up 1.04%. At number two, Ethereum, $2,680.75, up 0.66%. Tether at number three, $1. BNB at number four, $371.09, up 1.36%. USD coin, number five, 99 cents. Cardano at number six, $1.05, up 2.05%. Solana at number seven, $102.17, up 4.17%. XRP at number eight, $0.60, up 1.22%. Terra at number nine, $50.31, up 4.64%. And last but not least, number 10, Polkadot at $18.80, up 2.06%. Let's take a look at the Crypto Fear and Greed Index. Extreme fear can be a sign that investors are too worried. That could be a buying opportunity. And when investors are getting too greedy, that means the market is due for correction. So what we got today is extreme fear at 20. Yesterday was extreme fear at 20. Last week was extreme fear at 24. And last month was extreme fear at 24. All right, let's take a look at our five articles today. Article number one is... Bitcoin, what these indicators say about a possible bullish scenario in the near term. Article number two, South Korean crypto exchanges see rise in complaints. More people turn to home mining. Article number three, microstrategy and why holding Bitcoin on balance sheets might go both ways. Article number four, Web3 is the future or a scam or both. And last but not least, today's main topic today is who's using the metaverse? poker players in Decentraland. All right, before we get into the articles, just want to say thank you so much to everyone. I've been looking at the analytics and a lot of you have been listening to the podcast, but not subscribing and watching the YouTube video, but are not subscribers. So if you guys can hit the like button and subscribe, it does help me out greatly. And it'll be on Apple, Spotify, and Google podcasts and on the YouTube space, Dave's Daily Crypto Take. All right, let's get into it. Article number one is... Bitcoin, what these indicators say about a bullish and possible bullish scenario in the near term. Bitcoin, the world's largest cryptocurrency, continues to trade below 40K, with many suggesting that the crypto winter is finally here. In fact, some analysts expect crypto volatility to remain elevated this month, especially as investors reduce their exposure to assets deemed to be risky. However, some indicators seem to be providing much needed bullish respite to offset the growing concerns. Bear meets the bull. Blockchain analytics firm Glassnode published its weekly report to highlight these bullish scenarios. In the same, Bitcoin's on-chain fundamentals hinted at bullishness. According to the same, the recent market correction isn't going to last too long. First of all, the report underlined the narrative using the illiquid supply of Bitcoin metric. Over the recent past, the metric has grown on the charts despite the market depreciation. According to the report, this is a positive stat because, quote, Interestingly, prices in the current market are declining. Whilst illiquid supply is in a market uptick, this week alone, over 0.27% of the supply was moved from a liquid to an illiquid state. With a macro bearish backdrop, this does raise the question as to whether a bullish supply divergence similar to May to July 2021 is in effect. It further took into account Bitcoin's NVT, Network Value Transaction. transaction. It was trading between the faster 28-day green and slower 90-day pink NVT price models. 
According to the glass note, taking a ratio of price and the 90-day NVT price gives an NVT premium, which is currently trading at lows that are historically considered undervalued. Previous instances where settlement volumes have been this high relative to the market cap have preceded strong bullish impulses in bear markets or at macro market bottoms such as December 2018 and March 2020. In addition to this, a few other indicators provided support to the aforementioned metrics. For instance, an indicator such as wallets with non-zero balance on Glassnode. Here, wallets holding a non-zero amount of BTC reached a new all-time high. This uptrend in the indicator has continued despite the crash in the price of the crypto since it set the 69K all-time high. In addition to this, transactions $10 million plus in size dominated 45% of all settled volume. On the contrary, transactions lower than $1 million dominate over 70% on an entity-adjusted basis of all settled volume. Large size transactions sustained this elevated dominance throughout 2021. Curiously, it actually peaked higher throughout the course of this correction. Worth noting, however, that Bitcoin at the time of writing was still trading in the red, down by 1% over a 24-hour window. Bullish indicators or not, BTC is still waiting for catalysts to sustain a push above 40K. So there you guys have it. What do you think about this article? Bitcoin, what these indicators say about a bullish and possible bullish scenario in the near term? Comment down below and let me know what you guys think. All right. Article number two, South Korean exchanges, crypto exchanges, see rise in complaints. More people turn to home mining. There was a X7.7 spike in the number of customers complaints lodged against South Korea's four biggest crypto exchanges last year as citizens in the nation are embracing crypto like never before. Meanwhile, crypto mining is also on the rise. Yon Hap reported that the data on complaints was submitted by the Korea Consumer Agency to the offices of the MP Leo Ju Hwan of Opposition People's Strength Party. The data shows that a total of 232 formal consumer complaints were lodged to the agency last year from customers of the four exchanges, Upbit, Coin1, Corbit, and BitDump. The number is a massive rise from just 24 cases in 2019 and 30 cases in 2020. Most of the complaints were lodged against Coin1, 130 cases up, followed by Upbit with 74, BitDump with 17, and Corbit with 11. Lee, a part of the National Assembly's Committee on Small and Medium Ventures, was quoted as complaining, quote, even though crypto-related consumer damage is increasing every year, there is virtually no protection provided for crypto users. However, the rise in complaints may have something to do with the fact that the four trading platforms' user bases ballooned last year. By the end of 2021, a combined 12.02 million customers, over 23% of the population, had opened wallets at the four trading platforms. The worth of combined daily transaction figures for the four exchanges, the media outlet noted, had hit the $3.4 billion mark. Also, despite the fact that the national energy firm last year increased electricity prices for the first time in eight years, the number of people now mining crypto in the country also rose. While just 28 shipments of mining rigs were reported in 2020, that figure rose to 453 shipments in 2021. Although this represents a mere drop in the bucket in the global mining picture, it indicates that home mining is on the rise in the nation, a country where conventional energy resources are almost non-existent. The figures show that since the body began compiling data in 2017, home miners have spent over 50.2 million US dollars on rig imports. 
Lee called for the government to respond with urgent countermeasures for crypto miners, likely higher rates for those running home mining setups. He stated, quote, the electricity bills of people running virtual currency mining machines are three to four times higher than those of ordinary households. So there you guys have it. What do you think about this article? South Korean crypto exchanges see rise in complaints. More people turn to home mining. Comment down below and let me know what you guys think. Okay, article number three, MicroStrategy and why holding Bitcoin on balance sheets might go both ways. Several financial institutions have had a complicated relationship with the cryptocurrency since Bitcoin emerged to take center stage in the global economy. Over the years, however, BTC has been fairly successful in fostering institutional adoption across the globe. Even so, one thing remains constant, the legal and regulatory framework around Bitcoin. Holding Bitcoin? The same was the same topic of discussion during the latest edition of Bitcoin for Corporations 2022. During the same, a panel of experts from MicroStrategy and Deloitte discussed holding Bitcoin on balance sheets. Bitcoin and other digital assets have generally been in the news a lot over the last year. There have been some significant legal developments too, such as the futures ETF approval. Also, there is a growing degree of interest and activity at the SEC, in the Congress, and even at the White House. A lot of this interest has been aimed at clarifying and establishing new rules and regulations governing the digital asset space. But here's the question asked by Fong Le, President and Chief Financial Officer at MicroStrategy. Have there been any changes to the legal framework for a buy and hold strategy? MicroStrategy, the Fortune 500 company with a 125,051 Bitcoin strong treasury, learned from implementing the strategy. Here's what one of the panelists answered. W. Ming Xiao, Senior Executive Vice President and General Counsel, stated, quote, you're a company that's nearly buying and holding Bitcoin on its balance sheet. There aren't many regulations that directly apply to you. It turns out that some Bitcoin-related activities are highly regulated. Regulations include anti-money laundering laws, commodity regulations, potential money service, business laws, etc. But if you're just doing a buy and hold strategy, those laws typically aren't going to be directly applying to you, Xiao added. However, Bitcoin not being considered a security is an added advantage as per the executive. Why? Bitcoin does not meet at least one of those four parts of the Howey test. Therefore, an investment company act doesn't come into play. Quote, if you're a company like MicroStrategy, it was holding Bitcoin on its balance sheet, even a lot of Bitcoin, because it's not a security. You don't have to think about things like the Investment Company Act. This is why the executive believes the legal framework for Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin didn't change over the last year. Impairment char charges. It's worth noting, however, that holding Bitcoin did have its perks, at least for a while. Of late, though, these perks have headed south on the charts. The Institutional Software Solutions Provider announced its Q4 2021 financial results on Tuesday. According to MicroStrategy, the firm reported a net loss of $146.6 million incurred in impairment charges on its Bitcoin holdings. In fact, the firm has lost $901 million in impairment charges on its BTC holdings over the last six quarters. So there you guys have it. What do you think about this article, MicroStrategy, and why holding Bitcoin on balance sheets might go both ways? Comment down below and let me know what you guys think. All right, before we head into round two of the articles, just want to show my appreciation and thank you, everyone, every single bit of you that have been DMing me 
sending me messages and commenting on my videos and podcasts. Thank you so much. Again, if you have any friends or family that are interested in unbiased crypto news, send them my way, Dave's Daily Crypto Take on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts and on the YouTube space as well. Thank you so much. Let's get it back into it. Article number four. Web3 is the future or a scam or both. So what exactly is Web3 and why is everyone in Silicon Valley obsessed with it? Web3 is a scam. Web3 is a world-changing opportunity to make a better version of the internet and wrest it away from the behemoths who control it today. Web3 will make some people a lot of money, but many other people will lose their shirts on it. I know, I'm confused too. The fact that Web3 is hard to define, I'll try to do that in a bit. Isn't it necessarily a bug? It's a nascent idea floated by a mix of buzz, optimism, confusion, theological battles, and pure unadulterated speculation, which means it's incredibly malleable. You can explain why Web3 is a fundamental remaking of the internet, and some people will make you and take you very seriously. And you can argue that it's an MLM scheme built to enrich people who are already rich and find plenty of people nodding along. What you can't do right now is ignore Web3 if you work in or around tech, because it's all anybody has wanted to talk about for the past several months. I see and hear Web3 pitches, debates, and dunks daily. When I talk to investors, executives, or just people who work or dabble in tech, it usually takes them a minute or two to tell me, either with pride or embarrassment, that they've gone down the rabbit hole into Web3 and are convinced there's something very big and important down there. Maybe the fact that the stock market in general and the tech sector specifically has been tumbling in recent weeks will cool interest in this stuff eventually, but it certainly hasn't yet. This week, for example, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcik announced that Web3 represented a previously unimaginable opportunity to grow the connection between creators and their fans. On the same day, two of her executives announced they were leaving to join Web3 companies. This stuff also makes people irrationally angry, even by Twitter standards. Last month, we got to see Elon Musk team up with Jack Dorsey to have a Web3 Twitter spat wrestling match with Mark Andreessen. Perhaps Silicon Valley's most prominent VC and Chris Dixon, who works at Anderson's firm, may have been the prominent Web3 evangelist. No surprise, these men have a lot to gain and lose, depending on the way this shakes out. Web3 is intrinsically tied with a financial value, says Lee Jin, a venture capitalist and one of the few prominent women in the Web3 world. Anytime you introduce financial success, that's what really incites strong emotion. It's easy to dismiss all of this out of hand, especially if you're an oldster like me and who has seen tech bubbles before. But lots of interesting and important things were hatched during tech bubbles, like the web browser you're using to read the story right now. Even if people blew a lot of money on a lot of dumb stuff while the bubble was inflating. So when and if the bubbles deflate, which may be exactly what's happening now, you can still find value in the aftermath. Which means maybe people like Tina He, a 25-year-old product designer turned startup CEO, will be right. Six months ago, he co-founded Station, which she'd like to be the Web3 version of LinkedIn. Connecting workers anywhere in the world instead of relying on a resume to tell prospective employers or coworkers what you've done, he thinks Station will use tech to provide comprehensive, verified evidence of your actual work so people can evaluate you based on your output, not your job title or credentials. She thinks Web3 is a big, big idea, big enough to transform her life and the lives of people around the world. 
It's an immense opportunity to give people the opportunity to transcend time, space, and financial constraints, she tells me, to pursue what they want and be legitimized by the work they do, not just their identity that was given to them. That techco no optimism is bracing when you hear it on the phone. In print, it can seem like a fairy tale, but in the world I live in, or at least the one I'm adjacent to, it's increasingly the norm, which is why a flurry of tech workers who are already very well compensated are leaving their current gigs at established Web 2.0 companies for something Web 3. So I've been spending time in trying to adopt a mindset of cautious skepticism, attempting to figure out Web 3 for myself. Spoiler, I didn't figure it out, but I found enough smart thoughtful people who are genuinely fascinated with this stuff to make me think that there still may be something here. Even while so much of it is not sensical or worse, so I'll keep paying attention. You might want to too. So what the heck is Web3? Let's start here. At its core, Web3 is a rebranding of crypto and blockchain, the technology based around a worldwide network of computers that talk to each other and validate and record transactions without human intervention or centralized oversight. Blockchain tech has been around in some form for more than a decade, and for much of that time, most people who thought about it focused on Bitcoin, the digital currency created in 2009 that was more and most closely associated with blockchain. But you couldn't really do much with Bitcoin except buy or sell it and debate whether it was going up or down. And it has gone up a lot. At the end of 2014, a single Bitcoin was worth around $400. Today, even after crashing more than 40% from its peak, it's worth $38,000. Now you can actually do some things with the blockchain, not many things yet. And most of it is still about buying and selling stuff. Except now, instead of digital currency, you can also buy and sell digital art or plots of digital land or other items you can earn in a handful of video games, which is why you've seen headlines about someone paying $69 million for a digital collage or someone mistakenly selling a digital ape cartoon that was supposed to be worth $300,000 for $3,000. Or maybe you've heard just about play-to-earn video games that are supposed to let you make real money by acquiring digital goods you can sell to other gamers. It's entirely possible that this all Web3 will be an interesting way for people to collect or speculate our digital artifacts. That's potentially meaningful for people who create art and people who like to buy art. And here you can use the word art broadly, meaning things people like to look at or consume somehow, but if it stops there, it's not world changing. But Web3's most fervent uh, evangelist I think it goes much farther than that. They believe it will bring about a remaking of the entire internet, hence the name. Web 1, the argument goes that was getting more people onto the internet, helped along first by browsers. That's Mark Anderson's work, not coincidentally. And then via the internet access and search services like AOL and Yahoo, Web 2 was about converting the time people spent on the internet and all the content they shared online into real businesses and then consolidating those businesses into massive operations that now seem too big to fail. Think Facebook or Google. But with Web 3, the argument goes, you take control back from the Facebooks of the world. How is that supposed to happen? Well, it's complicated and for the most part, theoretical. But the blockchain lets people create their own money without permission from any country or bank. It could also, Web3 boosters say, let them build anything on the internet they want without having to rely on existing platforms like Google or Facebook or tools like Amazon's AWS cloud computing services. And crucially, the new services could be owned in part by the people who built and use them. 
And that idea, many of Web3's believers tell me, is the thing that gets them excited. For multiple intertwined reasons, there's the possibility of profit for starters. Many of the folks who are intrigued by Web3 also feel stimmied by the current version of the internet, where their ability to create meaningful new companies, especially those aimed at consumers, seems capped by the current internet giants who can buy, build, or crush upstarts. The reason why VCs and startup people who are not baked into the old winners are excited about this is the opportunity to create new winners, says an investor who is all in on the Web3 but doesn't want me to use his name. And some of the interest in Web3 comes from the political fears, real or imagined. You might like the fact that Donald Trump lost his social media access a year ago, but you should also be worried that a handful of companies could de-platform the former president of the U.S. Web3 advocates say in Web3 world, Donald Trump would only get kicked off a social network if the social networkers' users, who would be the social network's owners, wanted that to happen. And if they did, there would be other platforms on Web3 for Donald Trump or any other person you like instead of loathe to set up shop instead. But I think the primary appeal of Web3 comes from the fact that it really doesn't exist yet. So in its yet to arrive shape, it could be anything. And that sounds great to people longing for something new, whether they're young techies who've only known the world where a handful of giant tech companies dominate the internet or wizened folks who remember the initial excitement and possibilities of the early web days. So there you guys have it. What do you think about this article? Web3 is a future or a scam or both? Comment down below and let me know what you guys think. All right. Last but not least, the main topic today is who's using the metaverse? Poker players in Decentraland. Decentraland Games Casino has made $7.5 million in revenue over the past three months with daily user counts topping 5,000. In a metaverse often criticized for being devoid of things to do, the poker tables in Decentraland's Ice Poker Virtual Casino have never been busier. The play-to-earn poker platform from Decentraland Games is host to around 6,000 unique players each day, which makes up more than 30% of Decentraland's daily users. In the past three months, the game has generated more than $7.5 million in revenue through its various income streams, according to Decentraland Games founder, Miles Anthony. At any given time, we have over 1,000 players playing poker. Anthony told Coindesk in an interview, it doesn't sound like a lot of users, but when it comes to the open metaverse, it's pretty substantial considering the main issue right now with metaverses is that they're empty. For as much as press as Web3 is garnering, it's important to remember the numbers are still small. The number of wallets to pseudonymous, but not exactly precise measure of actual humans interacting with Ethereum-based smart contracts, touching OpenSea on a daily basis is just 50,000, according to DAP Radar. The non-fungible token marketplace was recently valued at $13.3 billion in a recent funding round. Decentraland Games bet big on the metaverse a year and a half ago when it started acquiring virtual land in Decentraland. The DAO says it's accumulated more than a thousand of the game's parcels to date. The effort was backed in part by an investment from the Decentraland itself back in September last year. The success of Decentraland uh, Games Ice Poker should come as no surprise to anyone familiar with online gambling platforms, which have been hit among virtual communities for decades. Anthony says the platform sees itself as a genre's Web3 iteration, requiring users to purchase one of its NFT wearables before being able to win actual coin. 
The casino issued two separate tokens, ICE and DG, to support its Vegas-esque ecosystem. The wearables sold in drops on the platform in limited supply already fetch high prices on secondary marketplaces like OpenSea, holding onto a floor price of 2.46 ETH, around 6,500 at the time of writing. With a high price point of entry, guilds have become core aspects of the game's ecosystem. As he said, he says the game has intentionally avoided relying on mega guilds like YGG for accessibility. Gaming guilds typically rent out key crypto assets for a share of future profits from retail users. To be 100% honest, I actually think large guilds are really detrimental to game economies. Anthony told Coindesk, obviously the valuations for guilds have been pretty wild and it can be great for even the short term, but I think a lot of these deals kind of overlook long-term effects. Anthony says the platform solves this problem with a built-in delegation system where players can loan an NFT wearable to another user in exchange for a 60-40 share of any revenue earned with it. Users who delegate just a single NFT make up the majority of the platform's lenders. So when users, despite the enormous hype around the future of the metaverse in recent uh, months, few poker platforms have been able to successfully enter the space in part due to regulation. Virtue Game uh, became the first play to earn poker platform with a Malta Gaming Authority license in December. Though its platform differs from Ice Pokers in its way it makes money off traditional casino mechanics rather than tokenization, as he said, Decentral Games is also preparing to launch a mobile iteration of Ice Poker in the coming months. So there you guys have it. What do you think about this article? Who's using the metaverse? Poker players in Decentraland. Comment down below and let me know what you guys think. Okay, last but not least, before we head out, let's look at the prices one last time. Number one, BTC is at $37,302. Ethereum, $2,680. Tether at $1, BNB $370, USD coin 99 cents, Cardano $1.05, Solana $101, XRP 60 cents, Terra $50, and Polkadot at $18. So there you guys have it. Thank you so much for your time, your patience, and your listening hours and watching eyes because this is dave's daily crypto take thank you so much for listening in to apple spotify and google podcasts and watching the youtube as well if you guys can like share comment and subscribe it does help me out greatly and i hope you guys have a great crypto day and i'll see you guys in the next one peace